We're back. Another episode of a healthy debate podcast. You nearly forgot what our podcast was called then. I, you got to have a dramatic pause, Adam. <laughs> Just rushing through this. I'm on a time crunch for my next client, but that doesn't mean I can't be dramatic. <laughs> right. What's uh, Go on. Who, who are we, Blair? Who are we? Well, I'm Blair Solberger, registered dietitian. Um, this here is Adam. He'll introduce himself. Yeah, I'm a personal trainer from Manchester, UK. As you can tell by our accents, we're from different countries. Yeah, I'm, I'm from the DMV area, uh, which is D.C., Maryland, Virginia, for those that don't know. I still don't even know where that is, really. I know Washington, that's it. Well, so Maryland and Virginia surround D.C. on both sides. Okay. So it, like, encapsulates D.C. It's between both states. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. So Good to I know. Live in, I live in the Virginia side, so I live <laughs> in northern Virginia. Oh, fair. Right. What's our topic of choice today? So today we're talking about something very near and dear to me, which is training versus working out. Um, so we want to make an important distinction between those two things. Training versus working out. You choose how you would describe one, and I'll describe the other and see if we're on the same page. I think that working out is simply doing an activity for the utter sake of it or to burn calories. Okay. And I think training is more performance-based where you're focusing on, um, I guess, trying to become more like an athlete, Um, you know, trying to become more specifically focused to improve the body towards a set goal. Would you agree? I agree with yours. Do you agree with mine or would you have Yeah, anything? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. So yours is All basically right. like another term for exercise, I guess. I would say that I think most people would deem working out, going to the gym or running or something that, you know, exercise could be playing a sport or dancing or things like that. Whereas I think when people say working out, they mean like group fitness or a very basic weightlifting routine kind of thing. It's interesting that you say that because I remember having a conversation with someone and I said, oh, I'm going training. And they were like, you mean you're going to exercise? I'm like, no, I'm going training. And like, we had to have a, a distinct conversation about what each of it meant. And they were like, I don't train, I exercise. I'm like, okay. For all intents and purposes, I am not a big fan of working out. Why I'm, not? Because... I think that if you're going to put some effort into fitness, you should have a goal, a progressive goal in mind. I don't think it has to be for just an athletic advantage, but even something as simple as walking, I think you can add a training element to it. You know, I like to go for hikes. I like to do those things more so for being in the present, but from the standpoint of like, if I'm just going to walk to get moving and get some energy going and burning calories and things like that, I would rather put some amount of training to it. Meaning I would like to do two miles in under 30 minutes. If I'm currently doing two miles in 35 minutes, I have a goal to get better, faster. And ultimately, I think if you don't have that training aspect, you can stagnate and lose the benefit you're seeking out of it. Unless, like I said, it's purely mental. I think sometimes it's fun to work out because, you know, you can be so focused on your training resume and be like so intensely stuck in it and following a set plan for so long. You forget how to have fun sometimes with training. And so 
I think it's fun to sometimes not have a plan. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah, it's it's interesting just seeing like, all right, so the difference between a seasoned trainer and a dietitian coming at these two things, because I'm coming at it from the approach of, I think far too few people train at all. Okay. You know, I think I think most people just work out. They go for they don't track how much their bench or lat pull or whatever their ex, like activities are, their exercises are improving. They just go because they should and they lift and they do their thing and they go home. I think beginners do maybe, but I don't know. Like, <clears throat> And it also deems ha- how you class tracking as well. Like not everyone is going to have like a pen and paper or something to write or down on. Some people just track in their head. Well, they damn well should. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. Um, but I, so I'm someone who has been blessed with a very good memory. And oh, so I you're even, one of these people who doesn't write well, no, it down? No, I, I write mine down. Okay. You know, because I, I have definitely, since I've started writing down, noticed certain exercises. I would wind up doing this because I would focus on my primaries. And then, okay, yeah, sure, deadlift's going up. But once I started tracking, I realized I didn't go up and either rep or weight on lat pulls or mm-hmm. pendulum rows or things, you know, so I think you can ignore other accessory lifts and their progression. And sometimes you just forget, you know, it's been two weeks since I had a chance to come bench. What did I do last time? What was my progression? Do I remember every single rep weight, etc.? you know? So it, I think it's easy to overlook details if you're not training and just going and working out and hoping you're getting stronger. You know what's interesting? I think sometimes it's better not to track because some people are so focused on tracking, they don't actually focus on how the muscle feels and you might not stimulate the muscle in that period of time of how you've tracked it. To get people to understand a feeling of how the body um, you know, is stimulated by training, you know, that feeling of a bit of your your muscles being so tense like you can barely move them or you know they feel so pumped up like you're walking around like you're 10 times bigger than you actually are or you know there's different ways and different feels for different things and different um goals and whatnot and so the feeling that people should feel isn't always going to be the same and so you know, it comes down to lifestyle and all those factors that we talk about. You know, if I have someone who's got a very physical job, last thing I want them to be is to be in a place where they're unable to move their arms so that they can't uh, do their day job the next day, you know, so that the feeling will be different from everyone. So I guess my counterpoint would be like, wouldn't you consider quality of the lift being something that you could track? How easy it was, how it felt, through space things you know, i mean like when i'm doing snatches i don't just work on going up but how well did my hip hinge did i have good acceleration under the bar to get it over my head like i think those things because i've gone down as a progressive step because i felt like i was sacrificing the quality of the lift in space by trying to go up and wait mm. i so mean think, still training in my opinion then I guess people, I would probably say most people when they get to that point, um, they probably, a lot of people don't do enough volume of the exercise because people are time restricted and they're trying to fit in too much into too little of a time. Which I think would kind of circle back to borderline working out. Yeah. So a lot of this actually started why I feel the way I do it because of like the group training trend. 
Okay. You know, and it, I think it stems even more so from like the budget personal trainers. Not saying you can't get someone who is very detailed at their craft at a typical like dirt cheap box gym, mm-hmm. but more often than not, just going in through through observation, you see people doing like absolutely horrid kettlebell swings and absolutely horrid form on deadlifts and things like that. And the trainer's just kind of there for accountability and counting reps more than correcting and directing. And then I think you take that and amplify it when you do these group fitness classes where it's like a circuit training, or I guess Metcon is the term now, um, where it's, you know, stations of exercises and they're like, do these for this amount of time. And like that one person is not able to pay enough attention to every single person at every single station to make sure they are doing things properly. And those group classes are primarily designed just to burn calories. You know, you're not doing enough weight to see specificity of muscle building or progressive overload. You're not, you're changing the workout too often to see a continuous like progression within a 12 week period. And form tends to suffer really hard in those scenarios. So like that's the, the, and the absolute epitome of working out, in, in my opinion, and not actually training. You know, there's two sides to the coin on this one, I guess, because I'm a trainer. And so, you know, that one person can't always focus on everyone's technique. Um, and I did used to teach classes. I don't do it anymore. but um, it, And I wasn't able to correct everyone's technique. But what you would have to do is you have to find the balance between you know, what do people want out of the session and what do people need out of a session? And there's no way, like, sometimes two people don't even want the same thing, let alone 20, 30 people. And so to to please everyone, but also give them a little bit of what they need is such a hard balance to strike on top of check their technique, make sure they're doing it. Most of all, it's making sure they don't do harm to themselves versus making sure they have good technique. Um, there are a couple of... Um, brands out there i won't mention their names but you know um they specifically when they teach you to teach classes they tell you not to go around and um correct people's technique you have to stay at the front of the class and you have to you have to do it with them which i think is an interesting model and i don't quite like it personally i guess ultimately that i think the idea behind group classes stems from the idea which I actually disagree with for the most part, that exercise will help you lose weight. You know um, what? I don't think it's that. I think I think with group classes, it's not so much about the workout. We, we know it's more about the community, isn't it? And like holding and making friends, meeting people who are probably have a similar sort of feel to you as in the gym, you know, they're uncomfortable going on the gym floor, that sort of stuff. It's someone from your local area. And so a lot of people like going to the classes more so because when they build a community, the community hold them accountable to keep going to the gym, which is better than not going at all. So I can see the pros and the cons. Are they yeah. are they maximizing performance? Are they becoming the best of themselves? Absolutely not. But are they doing something? Yeah. So how far is it? that you should be doing classes before you should actually move on to something a bit more. And that's the balance I think people don't strike very well. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, do you think the ultimate goal of most group classes is for people to graduate and move on to something more advanced? People don't do it because when you've, when you've um, become part of a community, you feel like when you step out of that community, there's fear. You know, Anything outside of your community is now scary, I guess. And I guess a lot of my beliefs too stem from 
wearable watches doing a group workout and then posting the calories they burned and it's all for like oh look how active i was look at how many active calories i hit look at the rings i filled up which is a sense of accomplishment more than anything else but like i just find that funny because from the research we've seen those watches are between i think it was 28 and 90 percent off over predicting calories burned so at minimum 30 percent at most 90 almost double the amount of calories you actually burn in that given time it's interesting because so many people have become reliant on like wearables and like watches and and trackers these days and i think they're great indicators to get people moving again we're talking about your your general beginner who probably doesn't move and needs something to make sure they do a, a little bit of movement because like joe blogs over there just sits on the couch and like works from home all day so he never gets any steps in and so it's perfect for someone like that just to get some movement in but i guess the higher up you you go up the ladder you know how how much should you really rely on it i think at best i use it to count my steps and that's about it obviously i try and close my rings but it's not compulsory at all to close my rings because it's all about you got to look at the the measuring tools that you want to use and sometimes Sometimes these trackers, they only have set measuring tools and you want to look outside the box a little bit. I don't know. I feel like you're a lot more forgiving. (laughs) Yeah, because you know what? The reason why I'm more forgiving is because there's so many people doing exercise because of some of these wearables. Are they by any means getting the results that they should be? Probably not, but they're moving. And so I guess that's why I'm forgiving. And you know what? I get all the questions. I get a ton of questions from people going, oh, it tells me I burnt this many calories today. And they're like, why am I not losing weight? And that's because they're not burning that many calories. And so is it creating a misinformative uh, society? Probably because people don't understand what they're looking at and how they think it should work versus how it actually does work. And so in some ways, it's probably causing more damage than good. But at the same time, people are moving more than they were. So yes, I can see the harm, but I can also see the good. And that's fair. Like, I guess from a nutritional standpoint, I am not a fan of counting calories by and large from the standpoint of the research does not support the 3,500 calorie model. Uh, If you were to track a 3,500 calorie a week deficit for 12 weeks, it only shows about 60% of predicted weight loss. So you lose about half what you should based on the math. Because 3,500 calories was supposedly, quote unquote, equal a pound of like fat loss or weight loss. What was it? Yeah. So 3,500 calories is supposedly one pound of fat. There's flaws in that research as well, which we can talk about on another episode. But ultimately, so the the model is, it's kind of convenient 3,500 divides pretty evenly by seven to a 500 calorie day deficit. But If you ate 500 less calories a day, that would be 3,500 calories a week, which would be one pound per week of fat loss. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it's just clarifying. We're not saying you need to be 3,500 calories deficit per day because that's no food. Right. So that's a weekly deficit. 500 per day would be one pound of fat per week. So all the – almost every personal trainer you've ever dealt with that gives you a calorie count, every online calculator or app, they're doing that basic model, which has massive holes in it. It does not meet the predicted 
weight loss from the mathematical standpoint. However, the energy in versus energy out model, as far as being accountable and honest with yourself, if I am tracking, I'm going to be more diligent about making sure my portion sizes are correct. I'm not going to sneak as many foods. You know, it's not doing me any good if I'm spending the time tracking Cheez-Its to eat five or 10 of them while I'm weighing out one. So, you know, so those kind of things tend to be tightened up a little bit, the mindless eating. So I think there's benefit of tracking calories. I just don't think it's this time-tested equation of weight loss that it's come out to. And I think that's the same kind of thing you're talking about. Like, no, you're not burning the calories with the watch that it says you are, but it is giving people something to work towards and getting them moving when they may may not have been previously. So... It's like it's doing something. It's just not doing what people think it's doing. I will agree with from the the standpoint of the beginner couch to 5K kind of mentality where, you know, getting up and doing. And I do. I talk to my clients all the time where it's like if you can't do an hour a day, which is what your doctor tells you to do, do 10 minutes a day because that's an hour and 10 minutes a week as opposed to zero minutes a week. You know, I do like a minimum baseline approach to get started. I think that there is a point where everyone who, if they start becoming consistent and want to take it seriously and see maximum results, needs to switch to training in some manner to progress. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm in, I'm in agreement. So, yeah, we're in the same place there. Yeah, I definitely felt like we were going off in two different directions. No, it's yeah. it's just making sure we explore both sides of the argument because I don't want people thinking that you know there's only one way of being able to gauge what everything's all bad or everything's all good, but there's pros and cons, and people should make their own decision based on you know seeing both sides of the coin. I do want to circle back and give some context because I made a pretty bold statement earlier that I don't think exercise is a good tool for weight loss, um, which I guess could ultimately be its own episode as well. So what I mean by that is the classic statement or adage is you can't outrun a bad diet. If you are trying to control your weight by starting with fitness, I think fitness is arguably the healthiest thing you can do for yourself, whether exercising, working out, training, whatever you want to call it. There is no argument honestly, in my opinion, it's healthier. Research has shown it's healthier to exercise and smoke than it is to not smoke and be sedentary. Research has indicated that a healthy amount of exercise can diminish the effects of sleep deprivation. And we all know how important sleep is. And if you don't, we'll have an episode on that too. But if you think that you are going to outburn a bad diet, if you run roughly 10 miles I don't know about you. That would take me two hours, two hours plus. Yeah, probably. We'll be generous and say that's a thousand calories. (laughs) But why is that a thousand calories? Because we should probably do an episode on that. Like how does that equal a thousand calories? Because I'm just being generous for for nice round numbers. I don't think you burn a thousand calories running 10 miles. I think it's less, but just to be around 10, a thousand calories, 10 miles. So we'll just say it's a hundred calories an hour or a mile for, for running. That's two and a half, three pieces of pizza. I can eat that in 15 minutes. You know, I, if you think that you're going to outrun any food choices you make, that is where a lot of people go awry with this weight control is I think your mouth is always faster than your feet. I don't care how much you lift, how much you run. It's just not going to happen if you don't 
pay attention to diet. Once diet is, doesn't have to be perfect, but once diet is reined in, we can now add exercise back in as a weight control, weight maintenance, body recomp, um, absolutely powerful tool in that regard. And I use it all the time. I just think it's priorities is kind of how I would put it. I, I get where you're going with that. Um, but most people w- don't want to address the, the main issue. They want to go straight to um, what they think is the uh, the solution, what's going to fix the problem. No, so everyone wants to take, everyone wants the result, but no one wants to look at the root cause of the issue. You know, So you can chop down a tree, but like if you're not going to pull out the roots, it's going to grow back. I guess too, like if, and I see there's pro and con to this too, if getting moving and exercising starts the journey of paying attention to your nutrition, there's power there. But then I, what an issue I've seen with my clients, with a lot of clients and, and COVID and everything that's happened, if those things are too tightly bound together, you lose one, you lose the other, you know? So, oh, I haven't been able to work out and my nutrition went to shit. They're intertwined, but also need to be looked at independently. I should keep nutrition constant, whether I'm working out or not, and then adapt minimally as needed to fuel exercise properly, et cetera. But I shouldn't, if I lose the ability to work out, fall off the wagon nutritionally and vice versa. It's very true. I'm, I'm in the same boat as you there, but a lot of people can't separate the two. One has to go with the other. And so to start training, people think they have to buy all the supplements. They have to change all the way of eating. There's this all or nothing mentality of, you know, which we'll do another episode about, but you know, you got a lot of episodes coming your way, but um, there's this whole attitude around, you know, if I'm going to change, everything has to change. I can't just change one thing. And so that's where it can get overwhelming. And so, to separate it just it feels too slow for people it is just like that that extremity of like it's got to be all in take care of everything i have to change all of it at once and that's something that that a lot of my clients maybe like to hear because i think it's easier to swallow but it's also not as exciting is change is unobservable real change Hmm. You know, change that lasts, you don't see happening. It It's slow, it's subtle, and then all of a sudden you look back two years and you're like, when did I become someone who drinks seltzers instead of sodas? Yeah. It's not as glamorous or fun as lose 30 pounds in 30 days, but I would rather lose half a pound a week and ha- be down 26 pounds by the end of the year than gain and lose 30 pounds and be down zero by the end of the year. And that's you know, the unfortunate truth to, for most people is slow, steady, the tortoise and the hare, like that is how real change happens and how it lasts. And that's where people go wrong. You know, unfortunately, you know, if it's not happening today, it's not happening at all. They want to win the race before they take the first step. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> right. We have one more thing that we were going to talk about before. You know, we're coming up close to half an hour now. So um, you wanted to talk about HIT training for those who don't know what HIT training. For those who don't know what HIT training is, it's high intensity interval training. Why did you want to talk about HIT, Blair? Um, and, and I think this is great to have you on here to talk about this with. So actually, I think this should be a fun one to have Vaughn on too. I feel like we, 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 <laughs> we can do it again. Going, yeah. Um, so... I think HIT has kind of taken over as this be-all, end-all answer to fitness. And everything is is 
hit based. Oh, it's hit, it's hit this, hit that. High intensity interval training is absolutely outstanding when done correctly. I think it's a great modality. If you want to become a faster, more efficient runner, it is foundationally through HIT training, not running farther and farther. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to increase your um, creatine phosphatase system, you do it via high intensity interval training. For those who don't know what your creatine phosphate system is, that's your energy system to explode more, do more explosive work. Right, anaerobic, short duration, power driven movements. So ultimately, I think it's one been taken over where like a lot of it is not even hit, but now if it's hit, it's cardio. Not true. We haven't, we have that on the, on the docket at some point too, (laughs) this cardio term. But so like, I just think it's kind of become like a trendy bullshit thing in nutrition or fitness that like hit is everything. And then that's the only way to lose weight. And you know, it just shreds fat. It's the intermittent fasting of the fitness world. (laughs) <laughs> you know it's also unfortunately not helping that a lot of these influencers who post workouts they are posting themselves doing hit workouts as well and you know they're claiming that's how they're getting their body but you know and there might be a tiny contribution of them doing that because they don't have enough time to do a full-length cardio session but most of it's going to come down to their way of eating um and you know so there's a misunderstanding about hit you know um i read somewhere that um you don't burn as much as you think doing hit so um for a long time i think a lot of people believe that you were burning fat for up to 48 hours after doing a hit session which pushed its publicity and popularity and then i can't remember where i read it but i read that you actually only burn i think about an extra 80 calories a, a day from doing hit that's it an extra 80 compared to normal that's not even a biscuit like you said four, 24 to 48 hours your excess post exercise oxygen consumption was that's the uh, one that's the was, one was was elevated but your it went into fat burn fasting mode uh, instead of cardio or or carb burn this it got like blown out of proportion where and i that might have been true in one study but i mean if we can find the study and dive into it i'm willing to bet that was a very extended hit session Mm. not you know five minutes of jump lunges or you know running six sprints for 100 meters which is what people tend to yeah burpees and they're like oh but it shreds fat for 48 hours it's like there's always a, a caveat or more details that you know it's not just like do a little bit of hit and you're shredding fat for 48 hours if it was that simple we'd all do it right <laughs> right you know i mean and and at the end of the day like sitting on the couch burns more fat than going for a run explain that percentage wise your your RER your RQ which is what determines what substrate you're utilizing is lower in fat burn fat is a low intensity fuel yeah, I'm with you. The lower your intensity, the more percentage of fat you're burning. Sitting on the couch, you're burning nearly 100% fat. But the caloric expenditure is much, much lower. The amount of energy you're utilizing. So you will burn more energy going for a run. It'll be carbohydrate energy during the run. And then it will turn into fat loss if the deficit maintains. You're talking about if people don't eat, people just sit down. There's no... Like they're not overeating, they're just sitting around in a calorie deficit, they're just sat on the couch, they could burn more fat. I, I, 
it's an extreme example. Well, what I'm highlighting is not even I don't I'm not even tapping into the nutrition side of things. For, to from a percentage standpoint of energy burned, almost 100% of the energy burned sitting on the couch is from fat. Right, even though the amount you're burning is very low. Very very low. You might burn 15 calories an hour sitting on the couch, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, you're very like let's say your BMR is 100 calories an hour, almost 100 of those calories are from burning fat. If I go for a run and burn an extra 250 calories, that's two and a half times extra calorie burn, but it's from carbs for the most part because it's a steady state exercise. Right. You know, so that's the difference is, yeah, we can manipulate the data to say, oh, you burn 100% fat sitting on the couch, but how much energy are we actually utilizing? You know, okay. yeah, you do probably burn more fat post-exercise from HIIT training. But if I do 10 minutes of HIIT or I go to the gym and lift and do cardio for two hours, which one am I burning more overall energy and which one is building more muscle mass and causing a greater effect long term? You know, I, and I think that's where the, the issue lies is I can make information say almost anything I want if I omit certain pieces. Mm. See, like it's interesting the way you're looking at it because I would probably look at it more as – I'm not burning as much as I would doing anything steady state. So if I'm only burning an extra 80 or 90 calories a day, you know, whereas I could walk and I could burn the same amount of calories in the same amount of time. But the difference being is HIIT training could absolutely knacker you out, tire you out, and you just won't be able to function properly for the day initially anyway. And so therefore, you know, it wipes you out and you physically can't do anything else. Whereas... You know, and it requires so much energy to get your head around that, oh my God, I've got to do HIT today, which is why so many people do in a class format. And so, you know, whereas the idea of walking takes less, absolutely no energy whatsoever, you know, it's the tiniest amount of energy. You just get up and you start moving and you can keep doing it all day if you really wanted. So you could technically expend way more calories walking than you could doing hit because it's sustainable you can do it as long as you want whereas you can't with hit and i'm in agreement like in at the end of the day if you have 10 minutes to exercise and that's it period sure do some hit there's nothing wrong with it um, but to adam's point like if i can go longer do more or if i was going to go for a walk later and now i'm not because i burned myself out doing hit that's where we start to see an issue with it is it's it's not the like godsend of exercise that's going to do everything for you in 10 short minutes otherwise like adam said everybody would do it all the time and just be jacked rip shredded exactly a healthy debate runs purely on fat and is completely free of banned substances this episode was edited by blair solberger so if it sucks blame him the next episode will be out in a week wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at A Healthy Debate or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at A Healthy Debate.